Welcome back to the Pearls and Pearls podcast. I'm your host, Peter Kay. In today's episode, I'm joined by a special guest who's going to be sharing her story with us of how she navigated through life in the UK as an illegal immigrant. And if this is anything you've ever experienced, you'll know just how much of a challenge it is. And if this is something you've never experienced or you have no idea what it's like, you will definitely be able to get more of an understanding after listening to this episode. And I can personally relate to a lot of the things that Fran is going to speak about today. But with no further ado, let's get straight into the episode. Hey Fran, thank you so much for joining me today. I've really been looking forward to this and we finally made it here. (laughs) How are you? I'm glad to be here, honestly. um, Yeah, I've been looking forward to it too. And please tell me when I need to shut up because you know I can waffle on and on. Well, people like a little bit of the waffle, (laughs) so I'm sure it's going to be fine. Honestly, I'm so excited to kind of dive a little bit deeper into your story. And I'm sure that those that do listen are going to be inspired in some way. So don't worry about talking too much. That's absolutely fine. Okay. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Frances. I am a young mom of one. Um, and um, I'm from Sierra Leone. I came to the UK when I was 13. So I've been in the UK for about going on to 16 years now so I've lived more of my life here than I have in Sierra Leone but um yeah I work as a youth participation and policy officer at a charity called South Florida Refugee Association and I kind of work with um, young people currently the project I'm working on is trying to get local authorities to agree to a pledge where they commit to addressing the immigration and nationality issues of children and young people in care. So um, that's going well so far. And um, I've been advocating for young people, children within the immigration sector for about 10 years or so now. So yeah, I'm really excited about my job, about where I am so far and hoping to tell you more about it. Okay, I love that. But you know what I noticed? Whenever someone's a mom, that's always the first thing they start off in saying. So you always know if someone has children, because that's like the first thing that they say, especially moms, not so much dads, but moms, it's like the first badge of honor. (laughs) It's like, is it like because you're so proud or you feel, I don't know what it is, but yes. I guess it becomes such a big part of your identity and you're probably just so used to it as well yeah like I'm a mom it's it's such a big part of my life now like every single area of my life is rotated around me being a mom so I guess it makes sense it made sense to kind of say that at first you know before everything else I am a mom all right mom well let's get into it (laughs) so today we're going to be speaking a little bit more about your immigration journey and what it was like for you living in the UK for those of you that listen that don't live in the UK it's definitely going to be an insight into what it's like because I know for a lot of people that you know live in quote-unquote underdeveloped countries when you think of the UK you think of the land of gold and milk and honey but (laughs) the reality is for a lot of immigrants especially if you are an illegal immigrant this Mm -hmm. is definitely not always the case so let me not say too much because we're going to go into a little bit more but tell me you know what age did you move to the UK and what were some of like your initial thoughts when you were coming so I actually came to the UK when I was 
13, I just turned 13. And I remember being told I was coming for a holiday, it was a visit. And um, I remember saying bye to my friends and they were, they were like, oh, can you get me this? Can you get me chocolate? Like, I, and I remember having a list and I was like, yeah, you know, I'll get you guys this stuff. I can't wait to come back and tell you what it was like. And I remember, you know, being at the airport and saying bye to my mom and, oh, it was so emotional. And I remember her making this really, really nice for like, literally when I, whenever I thought of my mom, I always thought that was literally the last meal I ever ate from her, but it was like it's like I can still taste it It was so delicious wow one of my memories of the airport coming to the UK and I remember coming here and I I was on the underground and I'm like oh so this is the UK like oh there's lights everywhere because in Sierra Leone like the lights goes out all the time so like being in a country where like going on the underground I I was literally just um amazed by everything and I remember um once getting on the bus and I didn't even know like you had to press the bell to stop the bus and and I remember being told to do that and I was like what is that yeah it felt um it was good like it felt good the holiday that I thought I was coming on it, that's not what it was like it didn't it's not like now when I think of oh I want to take my daughter on holiday it's not mm. that kind of vibe it was more staying at home I don't even remember going to any tourist attractions okay. I remember going to see family members but nothing like maybe going to London Eye or anything like that and I remember pretty much being at home for that whole month for a long time that was literally my first impression and I was like you know, after time had passed by, I was like, is that it? Is this is this, <laughs> is this London? <laughs> the four yeah. walls? That's is so funny it? though. Even what you said about the light, that's one of the things that we take for granted. Like we never think of even it things not being that way. Mm-hmm. And I know like the first time electricity cut out whilst being in the UK, I felt like, oh my gosh, like this is so weird because ever since I'd come here, it was never like that. So it was like, oh my gosh, is it going to be like back home? Are we going to have this happen? (laughs) And then within like, I think less than a minute or within a minute, it came back and I don't think I've ever experienced a power cut ever since then um but yes yeah, and it's definitely a different vibe when you go back home it's like you know the light can go out anytime but sometimes when I go back to Sierra Leone I forget and I think I'm in the UK and you know there's light continuously until it cuts out and I'm like oh no like it's gone again it's back it takes to- you back to reality yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow that's so interesting that's funny so when did you actually realize because initially you thought you were coming on holiday and I think a lot of children when we're coming to the UK we think we're coming on holiday because we don't really understand what's mm-hmm. going on I'm pretty sure I thought I was coming on holiday too <laughs> but I guess the difference was I was seven so I was a lot younger than you were like you were mm-hmm. 13 you're like still just a teenager just starting mm-hmm. off in your teens so I guess for me like my understanding was a lot less than yours so yeah so when did you realize what your immigration status actually was so even when I came I didn't even think I was going to be left here until like last minute to when my dad was going back to because I I came with my dad when he was going back to Sierra Leone and I remember being in a car and he was having a discussion with my uncle about what was the plan the arrangement and I remember overhearing them talk a bit about it but you know, I was a child. I didn't know much what was going on. I didn't even, that, I don't even remember that, what exactly was said in the conversation. And then after he went, I remember being told that, oh, I'm now going to stay here. And um, 
that I was going to be taken to someone. So I think maybe a week or two had passed after he'd gone and I was taken to someone who I'd actually never met this person before. It was strange to me. It was like, oh, wow, so i got to live with this person now. Wow. I wonder what life's going to be like. Like back home, things were different. Like, you know, my, my dad was, um, he earned quite a good amount of money. So I lived a very comfortable life. You know, I even had someone who cleaned my room, someone who washed my clothes. Like I didn't need to do these things. And then, you know, I was going to this person. I was thinking, oh my gosh, I hope like this is not going to be one of those Cinderella type of stories where you hear, you know, the child is the one doing all the things. Becomes the house girl. Becomes the house girl. And well, it was like that basically. Wow. Um, You know, and it was so difficult. Like I remember crying and saying, you know, I want to go back home. Like it's not just about, oh, becoming the house girl, but it's the whole life, like um, the the things that I had back home where I felt like I had family, like I had my loved ones around me, it wasn't the same anymore. Like I'm here with a new family, with new people. I was introduced to some people who, they're now basically a part of my life and family, but it was very strange at first and being told, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I can't go out, I can't do this, I can't do that. And very limited, like even in terms of, what I would wear whereas like back home I felt like if I said to my dad oh I want new jeans he would buy me new jeans whereas it wasn't the case I couldn't even say like oh I want I want to go shopping I want to do this I want to do that the dynamics of how things change from living back home to living here was very much different now I had I had to iron for myself I had to wash the clothes for the whole house I had to wash up yeah <laughs> I had to wash up and I imagine this was not a small household um it was a flat but there was no I mean the number of people that lived there yeah yeah of course not it wasn't wow. it, it wasn't um but yeah I had to wash up the dishes clean the pots I had to it was washing the clothes fold them put them away clean the house and you know I think maybe things got a bit worse when we moved and that's when like I started transitioning to being a pescatarian like anybody that knows me from back home from Sierra Leone knows that I've eaten Gary since I was like a child like I was a baby you know I don't eat rice so that was a staple food for me but um when my diet started to change and I started becoming a pescatarian and didn't want meat anymore it was a bit difficult because it's like okay I'm in this household and there's someone who's responsible for the household and their main priority is them and their child. You are secondary. So my needs wasn't met like that. I do, I do remember her, like, um, it's not that she didn't feed me, she fed me, but I remember, like, her buying a lot of sardines. <laughs> I keep saying it. Okay, well, you said you pescatarian, honey, so you go eat these tin sardines. <laughs> Sardine and rice? Oh, yeah, you weren't eating rice, right? No, with Gary, Sardine and Gary, okay. I was literally eating that. And, and I ate that for so long in my life that when things started to get better, that I I hardly eat it now. Like I hardly, because like my body, the way it works is that I, I can't eat the same things over and over and over again. Like I need to constantly change or, or you know, um, alternate. So it was, it, it was a lot. And, you know, for me, it wasn't even just that it was, the fact now that I'm living with someone who their main priority is not me, is their child. And they're not even trying to make an effort into building a relationship with me where I feel mm-hmm. comfortable enough to talk, where 
I feel like they can advise me and, you know, and even if, because, you know, as a, as a, as a teenager, when you grow up, you know, they say you have those rebellion years of the years where you might not listen, even if that was the case, or it might be that, you know, I may not listen so much, but I didn't have that environment. I didn't have that foundation where I felt like I could speak. So my way of kind of coping with that way of life was having a boyfriend boyfriends that weren't really suitable for me that weren't you know now I would if if my child was to grow up and come and tell me that this is the type of person I have as a boyfriend I would advise her you know to um or or just build that relationship so she wouldn't even look for this type of person or the moment they approach her she already knows this is not a good person for me whereas I I didn't really have that. And it was a very like strict, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, and you have to do this that I say, you have to do that, um, do um this that I say. And I was very scared, like I don't know like what's gonna happen to me. I don't have my mom here, I don't have my dad here, I have um relatives, but the moment that I'd spoken to my dad on the phone and I said, you know, I wanted to go back and he said, no, I couldn't go back. That was already like heartbreaking for me. It's like, well, if I even go back home now, who am I even going to stay with? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, on the outside, it seemed like, you know, it, or it might have seemed like things were fine, but it wasn't. I was hurting a lot of the time. I have a video on my YouTube where I kind of put a snippet of, a diary, a book that I used to basically write about what life was like and whatnot. And, you know, at 15, I wanted to kill myself. I didn't want to leave anymore. I wanted to die because I thought there is no other way of escaping this. Like I'm, first of all, I don't have a mom or dad here to talk to, 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 and even my dad that I'm speaking to is back home. He's not, um, He's not um, listening to what I'm saying. He doesn't even care. He doesn't even care to like listen to what I'm saying. And um, I've now gotten pregnant. So I got pregnant at 15 mm-hmm. and I don't know what to do with my life. I, I don't know what's going to happen to me. Like um, this lady will probably kick me out if she finds out that I'm pregnant. Like, what do I do? You know, at that same time, the person whom I was pregnant for had someone else pregnant for this for him oh, wow <laughs> so there was imagine I'm 15 I haven't even done my GCSEs and um he was like two years or so older than me and then he has someone else who's pregnant at the same time and I'm like what am I doing with my life like I can barely even feed myself like I don't even know what's going to happen and so um you know I made a decision to not carry on with the pregnancy because I thought that was what was best at the time you know, at school, I, I didn't always have lunch or food to eat. And my tutor, Miss Dubek, bless her, that woman, honestly, she was so kind, so nice. And I even remember when I first enrolled to the school, she was the person who, like, kind of showed me around and whatnot. And um, she used to give me money for lunch. Um, wow. Sometimes she gave me physical money. There were other times where she would send me to the dinner ladies to see, because they used to do, like, a free school meal ticket and she would ask um ask them if they can give me a free school meal ticket to eat and then when I became pregnant um because obviously I was underage and I had to be going to hospitals for appointments so she ended up getting there was a school I think it was a school liaison officer and um when they found out you know 
my condition and how things were at home they decided to get in touch with social services and they wrote they got social services to write to the lady I was staying with to come and assess my needs and what it was like being at home in the house if it was a safe environment you know for me to be at and when she received the letter she said that I then had to leave Mm -hmm. um and at the time my dad was actually in the UK and he then took me from there and then took me to my grandma and my uncle so my my maternal grandma and um I was actually quite excited going to live with them because um that was my mom's mom Mm -hmm. although when I was younger I didn't really have much of a relationship because I grew up with my dad and my dad's family I didn't really have much of a relationship with my maternal side um so I only saw my grandma maybe on holidays before she came here okay so so I went to live with them and I thought things were going to be much more better much more better than you know than than where I was staying before because this is my family this is my blood like they're going to look after me Mm. and you know it it became difficult as well in that household so at this point were you still 15 15 going I was 15 15. I was Mm -hmm. 15 because I was still in year I was in year 11 and I had to be traveling from east London to south London to go to school before I did my GCSEs wow Um, yeah I remember having to wake up early in the morning and getting the bus 115 and you know making that journey and um get back home and Honestly, when I look back at how life was, sometimes it's like, I don't know, like part of me kind of want to even forget some of what that life was like because it was such a difficult time. But I know that is a part of me and part of my story. And um, it has shaped the person that I am now and the person that I will continue to grow to be the things that I will I will not allow to happen to my child now I now that I do have a child although sometimes I I want to forget some of those things but I I'm grateful for that happening because you know it's helped me to become the strong person that I am today and you know through my experiences I'm now able to help other people but yeah so um life in that house it wasn't um, it wasn't easy. My aunt, she didn't live very far away. She used to be the one who used to cook for me, actually. Because okay. at this time, I was now a pescatarian. And so my aunt would cook for me and she would ask me to come pick up food. And we didn't have a washing machine in the house. So uh, my uncle used to go wash his and my grandma's clothes at the um, laundry. And he wouldn't take mine. So my aunt would say I should bring my clothes around and she would wash them for me. But she didn't have somewhere to dry it. So I had to bring it home to dry it. And when I would dry them um, in the bathroom and on the radiator, my uncle would say to me that I can't dry my clothes there. I'm going to give him and his mom cold. And that can't happen. So, um, Wow. (laughs) You know, I have to laugh now because like, you know, obviously this was a difficult time for me, you know, and I, I always say to people like now that I'm older, a lot of things I look back and I just laugh or sometimes when I'm like, I don't want to be sad about something like the easiest way for me to express my emotion is just to laugh. But that was the kid. That was my mom's. That is my mom's brother. You know, it, and it's so crazy now that the relationship that we do have, it's 
But I, I guess I'll get to that point, you know, where I talk a bit more on that. But that's what life was like. And, you know, I started getting involved with um, people who were doing fraud, people who were selling drugs um, because, you know, I didn't have money. Um, I was going to college. I didn't have money. And, um, you know, I would see people dress up and wear and, and I couldn't and I wanted to I wanted to look good as well. I didn't want to be wearing the same clothes that I've been wearing since I came to the UK, you know, like yeah. I wanted to be wearing different clothes. And I remember that sometimes my dad would send like from from what I know, like sometimes he would send money from back home. Some of that money would get to me and sometimes it wouldn't get to me. Okay. So. Yeah. It would get a little taxed on the way. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Little tax or not get to me at all. Wow. So it was it was difficult. It was really hard. I, and sometimes I would go to college and I don't have money to eat. And um sometimes I would ask my grandma for money to go buy food and she would say no. And and I would think, well, why are these people like this? Like you're my family. Like, how are you? like it don't make no sense and then I remember her wanting me to go to her church so much and I'm like I can't even go to your church I don't even want to because I like the person you're portraying to be to me I don't want to be going to be associated with your church people used to think you know that was around my family you know why don't I go to church why don't I listen but it's like there's so many things that were happening that I could not speak I could not talk because I felt like people even now people say that I'm ungrateful I know people will say this so sad because I feel like sometimes these people are not aware of themselves it's like their story in their head of how they treated you is often so different to the reality and it's like do you not remember I don't know if it's a selective memory or they don't want to face the reality but it's like what is there for me to be yeah, ungrateful like about? Choose what to remember. I mean, I was abused as a child and it was by a family member back home in Sierra Leone. Wow. And it's like they choose what to remember or what they want to know. Like, it's like they erase that part from me. I, I don't I don't understand how it works, but it's like it, and, and the first thing they usually accustom it to is that you're being ungrateful. But this is my experience. This is how I genuinely felt. This is how you treated me. And you know, the worst part of it is that, like my experience of living with that woman is that I'm not the only one who's, people who came to the house could see. So it's not like it's even on my word against yours. Mm. There is evidence, you know, of like I used to write how I was feeling, how I was being treated. But you know what? Like, you know, she at the end of the day, um, I would say, you know, she took me in at a time where I don't know what was the arrangements between her and my dad. She took me in for a period of time of my life. And I am grateful because I believe, you know, wherever I am now is because of my journey. And, you know, I'm a Christian and I believe that with every person, even if that person has hurt me, they have been used by God to um, take me through my journey of life and to bring me to where I am right now. So, you know, even though things were really difficult and, you know, really hard, but you know, I am grateful for that time that I spent there because there were things that I learned and um, yeah. Wow. So you've kind of already spoken about that, but what were some of like maybe the other challenges that you faced growing up? Like you said that, you know, you'd see other people dressing a certain way and you're still here with the same clothes that you mm-hmm. came with two oh. plus years ago to the country. So what were some of those challenges? And at that point, did you realize like why your financial condition was the way it was? 
there was a lot of um things that it wasn't just um people dressing it was not having access like even medically like at first I thought can I not even access the GP and um and then when it was time where I felt like you know I'm going to take responsibility for my life and start doing things I think I went and registered to the GP but I think um that lady who I was staying with she registered me with the GP but those are things that I didn't even know if I was registered to the GP I but I remember like at first when all my friends were turning we were turning 16 in school and people were talking about receiving NI numbers and I was like what is NI number? Oh, because I remember this one because that missed me. <laughs> I remember that. Yes, I, I remember, remember that. I was like, Wait, what is NI number? And then I learned that it's something that you get when you turn 16 or 17. And obviously, if you are born in the UK or you have the rights to stay in the UK, you will receive it. But obviously, I didn't receive it because I didn't. So I was like, oh, OK, this is because I don't have a document. This is why this has happened. The reality of it really kicked in when I went to sixth form because, as I said, you know, people used to get EMA and I couldn't get EMA and I found that it's because I don't have documents. And then, obviously, um, I then uh, applied to go to uni and couldn't get access to student finance. And even previously, before the uni thing, I got pregnant again for a second time when I was 16 by the same person. Oh, (laughs) I don't should I even ask <laughs> so wait the first time you were pregnant he was someone else was pregnant with his baby right yes so how did we get back okay you were young and you never had the support I was how how did you get back there like what was going on in your mind even between that time of after you know um, after being pregnant at 15 and whatnot, and then going to 16. Between that time, he'd gone to prison. Oh, and- wow. He was busy. <laughs> <laughs> he was very busy. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what sent me there, but if I tell you that, like, it's like, you know, now I look at my life and I'm like, I want so much better for myself. Like, I want like I want the best and I mean in every single area of my life and back then like it's like I had a blinded vision no I I was blinded not even vision I don't think I had any vision like I always wanted to be ambitious in life I wanted to do well but it's like I was like all of that had been lost like from when I was young back in Sierra Leone I wanted to be a pilot I wanted to do well I wanted to do this but after I came to say, um, to the UK, I remember um, saying that I wanted to be a dancer. And now I look back and I'm like, you know, maybe if if, if you're good at ballet or, you know, or people like... What that, kind of dancer like, were you like, thinking of, girl? Like, girl, <laughs> I had no vision. It's not even about being a dancer because there are really good people. That is their career. And, you know, it's really lovely to see them. But there was no vision of what type of dancing I even wanted to be. Like, I wanted, I was thinking to be a dancer for singer still dancing in the background of okay it was like there was no vision whatsoever like everything had like there was no hope like I, I didn't even feel like I had any hopes of wanting to do better wanting to do well so being involved with someone like that it didn't feel any strange to me it didn't feel like you know no um this is really bad for you like I like I knew obviously like this person is someone else pregnant 
um, um, with their child at the same time, you're pregnant at the same time. Why do you want, but it's like, I had no good support system, no one to tell me like, or to help me get out of that situation. I had to find my way and find it. And I'm not blaming anyone or putting the blame on anything. Like, you know, for me, I take full responsibility of my actions, even though, yes, I was a child, but, you know, um, I had no, I didn't know how to navigate life. I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't even know. What and to at do. 15, you really don't. You feel like you do a lot of the times. Yeah. You think you're grown, especially mm-hmm. when, you know, you've got all the womanly parts. You feel like, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. mature for my age. Uh, and I feel like so many of us, we kind of deceive ourselves into thinking because we're quote unquote mature for our age. At that age, you 100%. think you know everything. When I, when I look at oh. my little sister, she's 16 now. And I look at the stuff she was doing at 14, 15. Even now at 16, I'm like, you're such a child. You're such a baby. And, you know, to think then, like, as you said, I'm thinking in my head, I'm mature, I'm grown. And, you know, that's why I even made the comment about taking full responsibility. But it would have been good to have a guidance, to have someone to really guide me, to really show me how to make those good decisions and not go back and make and go to be with someone who treated me so badly cheated on me and also been to prison like that was that was not it was nothing good but it also shows you just how important it is especially for children to really have a solid support system around you I think sometimes people are just so concerned with the physical resources but Mm -hmm. even just that presence is so important as well because yeah. even when speaking about some of the things that you were saying, you know, you never really had much vision. And it does make sense if you never really had someone supporting you and kind of pushing you. And I think as a child, that's where you dream the most. You know, you think yeah. you can do everything. Exactly. And sometimes when there's that lack of that, even that imagination or even having that willingness to really want something, it often does happen when you don't have that support or when mm-hmm. you weren't in an environment where you were encouraged to dream. Like for me, exactly. it was the opposite. I was in a similar situation to you, but one thing that I could always, I always got from my mom, which I'm so grateful for now is that woman, if I told her mom, I'm going to be prime minister, she's going to be gassing me up. She's like, okay, so how are we going to make that happen? Like she always gave me that room to dream. So for me, I never really thought, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that. I always felt like whatever I put my mind to, I can Mm -hmm. do that. I wish it was the same for me. I wish I really had that, but um, that's why now I feel like, you know, I have to be that for my daughter. I have to, I have to make sure that she has that support system that, you know, and, and I do this thing with my daughter where um, I do a morning affirmation with her mm-hmm. and tell her you are smart, you are strong, you are kind, you are beautiful. And I tell her to repeat it, like, I'm strong, I'm kind, you know, because I want to instill that in her. I want her to always remember that she's a strong girl, she's beautiful, no matter what anybody tells her, she is beautiful, she's a kind person, she's caring. Like, I want to already start instilling those things in her. And sometimes they say oh yeah it's, it's usually because there's a one parent involved but I think even if it's one parent or both parents that's involved you can have a good support system if that foundation has been set right from when you were young like you said you had your mom that she was instilling that into you so you 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 were ambitious you wanted to do better you wanted to do well um and you know in a way I felt like when I was in Sierra Leone I had that with my dad obviously coming here to the UK I didn't have that anymore like my dad was really about his life in Sierra Leone so um I didn't have any I I, I didn't even speak to him that much and I guess there's only so much you can do over the phone you know it's difficult to parent over the phone yeah 
But even actually something I wanted to add on to what you were saying before about single parent households and how sometimes people think, you know, when you have the absence of one parent, it has a huge effect. It can, but equally, Mm -hmm. sometimes you can have both parents. And if the environment is not healthy, it can do as much damage, if not even more. So I think it's so much more than than just having two parents is having a healthy environment. That's that what makes it. the ultimate difference. You can have one parent, but it's a healthy relationship and you can be just fine. Yeah. Whereas you can have both and on the outside, it looks all good, but at home it's a hot mess and it will have exactly. such a negative effect on you. So I really yeah. wanted to emphasize it's all about the healthy yes. environment. And I agree. That is that is literally the line, a healthy environment. That's what a child needs. 100%. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I could speak all day about that one. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> so fast forwarding a little bit what was some of like the turning points so initially you said that you wanted to go to university but you realized that you couldn't get access to student finance so how did you end up going to university because I know that you did what Mm -hmm. happened along the line along the line so um I ended up being kicked out by my grandma and my uncle when I was 17 oh and I was made homeless yeah um and I was on the street and lucky enough the church where I was going there was I made I mean I'd made a friend there and she asked her parents if I could stay with her if I could stay with them I stayed there for like two months but you know there's so much like at some point they're gonna ask you and are you gonna leave and Mm -hmm. what's your plans yeah what's your plans (laughs) so you gotta think of something else but they were really lovely really really kind and lovely people and someone whom I actually met through the lady whom I was staying with um I'd gotten close to her and her family like I'd gone to them for a few weekends but I'd gotten really close to her and she became like a sister to me and she is my sister now she asked her parents if I could stay with them and they opened their doors they opened their hearts they opened their family and their life to me and literally I became a part of their family and um, it has been like that ever since. So I stayed with them and I was thinking, what am I going to do? Like now I can't go to uni because I don't have access to student finance. But, you know, my mind started to change. Like, I do want to do something with my life. I don't just want to sit down. Like, I want to do something. Like, everybody's going to uni. I can't go to uni, but what can I do? So I ended up finding a course. I, I was doing my own hair at the time. So I was like, let me see if I can do hairdressing course, get that qualification. You know, maybe I can go work at hairdressers, you know, until I'm able to go to uni and get my papers. Like, I don't know. But let me try anyway. So um, I, I, able to, I was able to... Enroll to the course and you know I started doing that course and towards the end of the course I was one day eating lunch and I saw a leaflet and it was from a charity that said that you know um if you were going through some of the issues they had listed on the leaflet they could probably give you advice and help so I took the leaflet and I was like I'm gonna call them but I actually didn't call them for two weeks after two weeks because it said on there you had to be from that borough and I wasn't well, something was just saying, just call them, give them a call. Eventually, I called them and they assigned me to a key worker. And that person was honestly such a lovely person. She um, knew of other organizations who were offering things like food bank and you could collect like clothes and things like that. And um, she emailed them to arrange for me to go there. And when she sent an email to that organization, when they heard about my story, they were just so inspired that they... Um, 
they asked if they could write to more people about me, basically. I don't even think they asked. I think they just emailed the people who sponsored the organization and um, people donated loads of stuff like clothes, toiletries, like wow. coat, a jacket, because even things like a really good coat I didn't have, you wow. know. Um, I was, she had everything laid out in her living room. I literally remember, I can remember to this day. How old were you at this point? At this point, I think I was... 18 I was 18 19 okay yeah I think I was 18 at this point yeah because it because it was a year after I'd gone after I'd finished sixth form um so I was 18 going on 19 and um yeah and they gave and then there was someone who was a part of that email list and she's the sister to the founder of um, the scholarship that then paid for me to go to uni and they wanted to know more about me you know they were always looking to start the scholarship in the UK and they said and you know when they saw that email about me they thought you know this seemed like someone who's worth investing we want to get to know more about you they asked me to write a personal statement I even found the email the other day where I wrote where I sent a personal statement to them and I sent it to them and then within a week I was so nervous I remember the key worker saying to her like what do you think is going to happen and she kept saying you know you know this will be really good but let's not keep our hopes up because we don't know what's going to come of it but if it's something good, we'll be really happy. And I remember receiving the email and they said they wanted to meet me and it was the Starbucks in Golders Green. And I thought, it's so casual. I wonder what they want to say. Like, um, do they want me to prepare? Like, um, and the lady was like, she assured me like, don't worry, just go be yourself. And, and I remember they covered my travel costs. This is the charity that helped me. They covered my tra- travel costs to meet the, the scholarship people. And then I went and they had this paper and it said that they would spend at least £23,000 on me yearly, covering my tuition fee, living expenses, um, accommodation fees. And and I was bullied. I was literally talking to my surrogate mom because one of them has now become my surrogate mom. And I was talking to her the other day. She was like, yes, I remember that meeting like it was yesterday she's like oh like she feels so blessed I feel blessed to have wow. her she feels blessed to have met me but it was so emotional honestly and I remember when I was leaving they asked me that they offered to give me money for travel and I said to them no the charity had already covered it not knowing that that was something they loved they ended up saying that you know when when I said that they felt like I, I was someone that had integrity I was yeah. honest you know but I was just me being me like they've already given me money I don't need to take money from you again but it was something like so sometimes like you know just being honest just being yourself just being genuine it can take you such a long way that is so true like authenticity goes so far and I think because it's so rare Mm -hmm. people appreciate that when they see that now imagine if it was the other way and you'd be like oh okay yeah I don't have any money for charity and then some way somehow they then found out found out that I know it could have affected you negatively so it's exactly that's such a small but it just shows so much yeah exactly so yeah so that was it and I already had a uni place which I deferred because I couldn't go to uni I couldn't get access to student loan so we contacted the uni to find out if I could enroll and you know they said no I couldn't because I didn't have an immigration status so I went back to college I redid 
my A levels because I dropped some um, some of my A levels in A two and picked up another one. So I decided to complete that one and then took on a new A level. And then um, when I did that, that's when I fell in love. I, I took history. I ended up falling in love with history, and I decided, you know, I want to go study this for at uni. And at the time, you know, I wanted to be a journalist, but I thought maybe this will open me up more to, um, it will open me educationally, it will open my mind to think on a wider scale of things. Um, and I ended up applying for two other, for other universities out of them. Two of them actually wrote to me because I told them the situation and they said they were willing to take me on, on a, um, on a interna as an international student. And at the time, it's, this was even rare because it was the time that there was this uni called, it's still around, London Metropolitan University. And mm -hmm. there was a big scandal where um, students from that uni had enrolled and not completed the course. And, you know, um, they were illegal. There was stuff going on and there was okay. still there. Their student <laughs> visas was going to be revoked, basically. Wow. They were going to revoke the university giving student visas. So to even get those offers from those two unis, you know, was amazing. And I ended up going to one of them. So I actually went to uni without my papers. And wow. Then, but I was very active in trying to, like, as I said, I didn't even say before, but like I, I was looking for solicitors um, who could who could sponsor me. And by the time I, uh, I'd got in touch with this charity um, called the Children's Society, by the way, they um, had tried to find me another solicitor because the one I'd found wasn't very good. And then I ended up getting an offer from another solicitor to cover my work. And she is honestly such a good solicitor. She represents people that are very high up and she's really expensive. So to even get that, it was honestly such an amazing thing and it was just like everything was just falling into place and you know I was just so grateful and just so happy and you know I'm like I'm gonna continue pushing with the home office writing to them every week which I used to and just used to keep the receipts and whatnot just I thought you know I do want to regular regularize my status I want to be legal in the UK I want to have my stay I want to be able to travel I want to be able to work I want to be able to do these things and contribute to society so I just used to write to them I even used to go to Luna House in Croydon I used to go to the home office in Croydon and I'll be like can you give me my papers <laughs> <laughs> I love the boldness <laughs> it's like a crazy thing but yeah like I was crazy but I guess you know it paid off in the end because one of the lessons they wrote to me is what I eventually used to enroll even though I didn't have my stay so that's how I went to uni I love it, it seems like but such you know a what it shows story. you have to be persistent because so many people in your position you could really just give up and I would understand if you would yeah you know it's so difficult now I can I've got the funding but I can't mm -hmm. go for this reason and I even before this charity that I actually found the leaflet I'd actually tried to approach other charities I'd gone to Red Cross I'd gone to other charities to see if they, they could help me and they couldn't help me so um definitely I think persistent persistency is key definitely yeah wow okay before we get into your youtube channel and what you're doing now is there anything else you know speaking on this topic that you wanted to share i think um obviously in terms of my work now from that time to now there's been quite a big change i would say in terms of how much help there is out there and sometimes people don't know um but as as we said um just now about being persistent 
if you are persistent, you will probably be able to find these. But there are help. There are organizations that can help if you are in the situation. If you're a child, you're a young person, or maybe even an adult now, you know, and um, you don't have your say, you don't have your papers. There are charities, um, there are organizations that can help. You just need to um, try and seek the right of it, the right um connections to be able to get the help but it's not difficult it's not as and people shouldn't be scared i know when you don't have your papers it's so easy to be scared i think that's one of the biggest emotions when you don't there is that fear that there is that fear of you know you hear the siren going like i've heard some very sad but also funny but not meant to be funny stories of Mm -hmm. just what that fear has caused people to do and I I get it you know there's times like back in the day when people used to hide from the tv license people used to hide from the home office if they heard a strange knock on the door they're not expecting someone they're not opening that door and (laughs) I I totally understand and it's such a difficult way to live you know living that fear it honestly is I remember there was this show on tv called UK Border Force where they used to stop people I know that one Mm -hmm. And I remember walking in Strat and before, like um, UKVI officers, enforcement officers used to be on the street. They used to patrol stations and stopping people. I remember once in Stratford and they were there and I was panicking, like, oh my gosh, are they going to stop me? What's going to happen? Like, you know, and, you know, I, I know a lot of people have that fear. They, they don't do that so much now, but being as long as you are not obviously you you being illegal is breaking the law but as long as you're not doing illegal things like committing crime i don't think you are so much at risk or you should be so scared that you don't even want to seek ways to regularize your status i think you know a lot of people can be so scared that they don't want to do that and i think that's where the danger is it's been having that fear that you don't do anything towards make changing the narrative you need to really overcome that fear and think you know i want to have my status i want to be legal in the uk i want to do things i want to do that and i think if you think like that you start thinking okay well how can i go about doing that then you'll be able to find the right channels on how to do that definitely and also I guess if you look at what your life is like right now and you think to yourself do I want to continue living that way because a lot of the times you can't do so many things you can't work or if you do work it's little backhand jobs or you know Mm -hmm. under the table and it's just Mm -hmm. this constant cycle that I'm sure you probably don't want to be in so listen I remember being put in touch with someone who had a hairdresser's and I would go there from morning to evening and braid people's hair do people's hair and then she would give me 50 pounds at the end of the week at the end of the week (laughs) and how many how many shifts were you doing and you see that's the thing like and sometimes people take advantage when they know your situation Mm-mm. yeah people definitely take advantage that and you so know sad. and I left there and I said nah I'm not I think after that month I left there I said I'm not going back there again like, oh my gosh I'm, yeah not even minimum wage would explain that one no wow. not even minimum wage <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, let's segue a little bit into your YouTube channel. So tell us a bit more about that, that you started recently. What kind of content can we expect from you on your YouTube channel? So my YouTube, I feel like I'm doing a move I do on my channel. (laughs) I wish you could see her guys. Like she's smiling. Like her face is so big right now with a smile. But yeah, like honestly, I was so excited because, you know, before I thought about doing a YouTube channel, but I was like, you know, what am I going to do it for? But, you know, like 
towards the ending of 2021, it, the, the ideas started coming into my head more and more. And I'm like, you know, I'm so happy and so confident in my job, in my role. Like I really, I'm really happy. And I'm thinking of all the things that I've learned. And I'm like, and I looked at, um, I saw a video of someone, you know, where they were talking about their experience of living in the UK without papers. And I thought there isn't so much help like this out there on YouTube. There isn't so much advice. There isn't anyone really talking about this. No one is talking about this. And I thought of all the things I've learned when it was, when when I didn't have my state or when I did get my state, now being able to make a change of conditions application or fee waiver and even applying for myself. Like I don't use the solicitor anymore. I do my applications myself. I did my daughter's application myself. I thought this is all gem that I can give to people freely. And there's a platform you can do that for free why don't why don't I do it like at the end of the day I know it will help people and then you know I and leading up to that I'd found that that the home office was going to um was looking to changing the um 10-year private route for children and young people who were born here or came here at a young age and cutting it down to five and I thought if this happens this is something great that people need to hear about not everybody's going to know about this and um, how can Definitely. I get the word out there it's so never going to be public knowledge you think they won't be able to know they don't want nobody to know so I thought how can I get this message out there how can I let people know and I thought the best way is YouTube let me do that and it was a lot thinking of taking it on because I already run a small business where I make food from home I look out I have my daughter and I'm working as well and I thought um, I'm starting a YouTube channel how am I going to balance it all I don't know anything about recording I don't know anything about editing how I don't even have money for a camera and I started doing research and and they were like you don't need to have a camera you can start recording on your phone and I started learning I literally did all the research on my uh, topic and you know how to do the recordings how to start editing and editing softwares and yeah and I'm, I have to say I'm really proud of you know where I'm at right now you should be proud of yourself I'm so yeah. proud of you as well and I Thank love what you're doing because even for you sharing your videos I'm learning stuff too yes. um, because even what you mentioned with the private light roof that's something that actually applies to me as well so mm-hmm. keep sharing because I'm sure yeah. that Honestly, it's gonna that help now a lot more people thousand views wow and it's just been over a month and within that month I have over 200 subscribers and in every day it's like going up so I'm like you know it is useful and people are watching it so definitely I'm going to keep doing it as long as I you know it's I know people are learning from it and they're gaining and I want that video to get so big I, I just want people to know that before they make that application that like you can do like, like ask them for the definite leave to remain because it will say I know how much money it saves like the application now is over two thousand five hundred pounds and if you have you know a family if there's a family of two three four five it's a lot of money yeah, it's a lot it's of money. a lot of money so you know if it can make people's life easier why not and for a lot of like a lot of people like in my situation coming to the UK wasn't my choice you know mm-hmm. I was brought here as a child but now I have to make my life I have to live my life and um so for me this is like it's like the perfect situation to solve my problem and 
because now I have a child, her status is also dependent on mine. So whatever is going to make life easier is definitely better because there are people who save for cars, who save for a house. And for me, I can't even save for that yet. I have to first save. Listen, honey, I have got my Monzo pot already open for my application in December. I've already started saving for the next one. Like, literally, I started last year already saving for the next one because... It's so much money. It is. But I guess, see, in this process, you're building that habit of saving. <laughs> and then yeah. after, at least once this is all sorted, now you can save for bigger and better things, right? Exactly. <laughs> I can't wait. Honestly, I think two more years, two years and a bit, and I can save for much more better things. And I can't wait. I'm right here with you. Well, this this will be my last one. Yes. So uh, it's been a big investment when I think back to all the money I've spent, but we'll save that for my own podcast. Yes. <laughs> I talk about my own chronicles. <laughs> Something that I like to ask whenever I have a guest is to find out a bit more about some of the finance lessons you learned growing up. So it might mm-hmm. not be direct lessons, like someone sat you down and spoke to you about money, but even things maybe that you may have observed or even realized as you were growing up, what were some of the things that you kind of learned about money, whether directly or indirectly? Well, I learned that in needing money to do anything. <laughs> you don't have money, you can't do nothing. <laughs> you can't do nothing. You can't go anywhere. And, you know, it, it really made me think, I want the good things. I want the best things in life. And, you know, I want to do well. I, w- I want to do well. But apart from that, if anything, most of what I've learned is from you. <laughs> wow. I lie. Well, I, I feel honoured. I, I can't you. lie. That's the honest truth. I didn't know about budgeting. I didn't know about investing. I didn't know about, um, you know, um, even creating the savings um, uh, ISA for my child. These things, like, I didn't know. Um, so until now, and I wish that I can use these things earlier because even when I think back to when I was at uni and you know my scholarship um, sponsors were giving me a certain amount every month I could have been saving some of that money or investing if I knew Mm. about investment I could have done that but um, you know I didn't have that growing up no one told me about that like the you know the foundations that I'm trying to teach Brielle now my daughter she has a, a a money pot or piggy bank if I could say that where you know every cash that she gets I put it in there she also have a savings account and you know as she's growing like she knows she knows she knows about 10 pounds she knows about 10 pounds like, because I'm already starting to teach her like this is money you use money to buy this you use money to do this we have to save money Brielle we have to do this we have do you understand like I'm already yeah. starting obviously she doesn't know so much but it's now already I want to already start that foundation that I didn't have so yeah I'm honestly I'm grateful for your podcast for your 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 insta series that was what really got me in hooked I can't lie those insta series that you did they really helped me honestly like I left after that I got the budget tracker and I thought let me start um tracking and I thought okay I'm not so good with it um, because I didn't have a laptop at the time I was doing it on my phone but it t- taught me the foundation I thought let me start doing it on my phone so I used that template and I started doing it on my phone so honestly it's been really helpful that's so good to hear that's like my bonus it makes me happy yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh I love that and what I was gonna ask you you've already answered I was gonna say what is something you wish you had learned 
about money but I feel like you already kind of shared yeah, a little bit honestly, of that yeah I just wish I wish I knew about investing about saving and and not touching it like how to discipline myself to save because like I started saving when I started getting an allowance from my scholarship sponsors but I wasn't sticking to my boy I would save and then go back out saving like I, I didn't know how to say no when people invited me to things where I knew okay I'm really tight this month month I didn't know how to say no or or um, just some other things like I look back now and people that I was even putting first in my life than than myself and oh. you know not being those people I was going to their birthdays and they weren't even going to my birthday oh lord <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> that's funny <laughs> yeah it's like you know and I'm and I'm gonna teach my daughter that it's not everything you, you you don't need to be a yes man you can say no and you have that authority and that power in you to say no like if you don't feel comfortable you shouldn't feel pressured into doing something especially if you know it's gonna harm you in the long run and you know um and also another thing actually is taking out a credit card while I was at uni I took a credit card when I was at uni and um I wish I had more education on that mm. um before taking it out because um, although now like I've, I'm managing my finances better now, but when I initially took the credit card out, I was just using the money. I didn't know how to 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 use it spend, responsibly, to use it wisely and responsibly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't know. And I even look back, and some people had overdraft of our thousand a thousand five hundred pounds you know while we were at uni mine wasn't even to that amount it was about 500 pounds but you know I wish I had a bit more education and knew a bit more before taking a credit card then and utilizing it the way I did wow well at least now you're able to kind of break that cycle and teach yes. those lessons that you didn't learn because so right. many times a lot of the times we may say oh I, I don't want my life to be like what it was like growing up but mm-hmm. unless you're intentional about breaking that cycle and doing mm-hmm. what wasn't done for you, it's yes. so easy for that to then repeat itself. So I love Honestly. the fact that you're actually doing that work for that to happen. Yeah, you have to be intentional and you have like, I want a better life for myself, as I say. But how am I going to get there? You want to have your papers. How are you going to get your papers? Like you want you want to be in this place in two years and five years time. What do you need to do now to get to that place in that two years or five years time? You need to start doing that right now. Like it's not going to just come if you sit down. So if I want to have a better financial life, if I want my daughter to have a better financial life than I did, I've got to already start doing that now. I've got to be intentional about the things that I do and making those wise and much more responsible decisions. I love that but yeah you got to do the work it's not just gonna come just from saying it (laughs) unfortunately it don't work that way (laughs) like like um I think Patricia Bright said in one of her videos the other day you know you want to you want passive income you're in your 20s work work (laughs) do the work and you're gonna get there like even with with you I mean getting clients with your work if you didn't do the work to actually reach out to people people to see what you're doing how are you gonna get those clients it's not gonna happen like you need to do the work to be able to get those results I think the problem with our generation and younger is that we want something for doing nothing Yes. And sustainable results do not work that way. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. You may get short, short-lived results, but if you're trying to build something sustainable, it's not going to work that way. Exactly. <laughs> it just won't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So something that I wanted to ask you, um, that I'm adding to a new segment whenever I have a guest, is 
what is your pearl of the week? What is something that you would want to share with us? So it might be a life lesson you've learned recently, or maybe something you've experienced, or a quote that inspires you. What would be Fran's pearl of the week for us? Or, or a lesson you've learned recently, or it could be a quote that maybe inspires you. Or Okay, I'm going to say a lesson, and this is based on, you know, losing a loved one close to me. It's... Um, make the most of the time that you have now with the people that you love and that love you and it doesn't have to be spending loads of money it doesn't have to be you know doing expensive things but just to make the most of the time that what that goal that you want to get to make the most of that time that you have now to get to that goal if you want to spend time with your family do that now like don't wait for tomorrow because tomorrow never comes I love that and the sad thing with death is that there's so much we can learn from it 100% and I think death always puts a lot of things into perspective as well it does I think the the unfortunate part for most of us is after we've kind of moved on or time has passed we forget those things so I think it's just kind of keeping that into our, our mind. 100%. And, and, you know, saying that to you today, like I was coming into the house and I had my family around on Sunday. It was really nice. And, you know, when my niece passed away, I was checking on my brother all the time and now he's gone home. And, I'm, and I thought since they left Sunday, I haven't checked on him. And, you know, this is one of the things I'm like, make the most of now is to know that I'm constantly checking on you. It doesn't have to be necessarily every day, every minute, every hour but knowing I'm doing my part to be a part of your life um that's definitely something that I've learned and I want to take on I want to carry on doing and that is in with every relationship around me whether it be friends or family like just continue making memories I love that that's definitely something that I learned probably two years ago thankfully not from a death it was just a life observation and really thinking like when I had my mom living in the same country I took her for granted like sometimes she'd want to spend time with me and I was just too busy I didn't want to I I couldn't be bothered but Mm -hmm. now when it's like if I want to spend time with my mom she's in another country I've got planning that holiday but it's not the same so it really showed me like you've got to give value to things when you have it because sometimes when we do we take it for granted you know but really something happened making that time yeah 100 I think that is my my pearl of the week did I learn anything else (laughs) (laughs) no but honestly that's a really valuable lesson and I think sometimes we need to be reminded of that because life can get so busy that before you realize it could be months before you spoke to someone that you genuinely you may even think about them like sometimes I might think about someone but then I forget to message them or I get get distracted and then it's like oh my gosh I I think about this person like a month ago (laughs) so it's so easy sometimes when we're so busy in our lives this adulting is it's on it's never stops the being the busy part but I think it's just like pushing ourselves when we remember send that message make that phone call because otherwise you're going to keep delaying it I just wanted to thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your pleasure honestly I could go on and on and on I could say so much more but yeah um, it's been a pleasure and hopefully I can come again soon and talk about more exciting things yes you just let me know what you want to talk about and we'll definitely make it happen I've really really enjoyed our conversation and I really hope that for those of you that are listening that you will take something away from it maybe you can't relate 
but I'm sure that there's something you can take away from what Fran has shared. And I'm going to put all her contact details in the show notes so you can check out her YouTube channel. Definitely yes. have a watch of her videos. Yes. You know, she's got some very interesting ones on there. Getting to know her a little bit more. And I'm just yes. so proud of you. I really want to say this because something else I'm being intentional is letting people know how to do about them. But mm. honestly, I'm so proud of you. I met Fran, I was 16. So you were like, what, 18? Yeah, when I met you, and I've always found you to be someone very inspiring. Like, I've always liked now. you. Yeah, girl, we, we getting up in the age now. Yes, girl, wow. <laughs> honestly, I'm so proud of where you have come from and just how resilient you've been because you've been through a lot of things that a lot of people just give up and think, you know what, forget it. But you yeah. have persisted, and I'm so proud to see the woman that you have become. And I know that greater things are ahead for you. Oh, and I love and appreciate you so much. Thanks for sharing your story. Thank you, baby girl. Thank you. If there's one more last thing, sorry, that go I've for it. Is consistency is key, and consistency is non-negotiable. That's one that. one last thing I want to say in everything, like you know you just saying that in my life and just everything even now with youtube like consistency is key and non-negotiable if you want to get to that place where you are earning that passive income consistency if you want to um establish that good relationship with that person consistency just consistency 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 i love that And I'm not going to add anything on that because that is a very good point. Consistency (laughs) is key. And you guys know I'm always talking about accountability on this podcast and doing (laughs) and taking action. (laughs) But thank you so much for listening. And I'm sure I'll have Fran back soon sometime in the future. If there's anything that she spoke about, maybe that you'd like her to speak about in another episode, then definitely let us know and we'll see what we can do. But yeah, thank you again for joining me. It's been a pleasure. 